This is Multi New Media, and I am Chase Razbanowski, your host for Multi New Media. Today we have a wonderful show for you. Christopher Woodward and I are going to be talking about our top five selections for science fiction technologies. And whether you're in business, technology, new media, traditional media, or anywhere in between, these topics are so important because what we're really talking about more than science fiction or more than some creative props department is we're really talking about the vision of the future of humanity. What types of devices, what types of technologies are we going to have in the future and how will these things impact our lives? Not just professionally, but personally, socially. All of these different topics will come together in today's conversation with Christopher Woodward. But first, let's take a moment to do our typical technology nerd science fiction infighting. See, for me, Star Trek, specifically The Next Generation, is the most influential television show that I think I've ever been um, that I've ever been exposed to. Sure, there are other great science fiction franchises like Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica, Babylon 5, and Sequest, which I wouldn't suggest watching past Season 1. You know what I mean, if you're a Sequest fan, that's just how it is. And many, many, many more beyond these few that I've listed. And even then, those are only those examples only go back several decades. We have prolific authors like Isaac Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke after him. Many books many television shows, many movies, many comics and graphic novels, all sorts of entertainment forms later, we come to a central point that what we're trying to do in these science fiction forms of entertainment is predict what our future looks like. How do we live in future times? What types of devices do we have? What do these devices mean for us as people? So keep some of these ideas in mind as Christopher and I go through some of our top selections today. Think about what your top five science fiction technologies are of all time. And then join us at multinewmedia.com and add in the comments section for episode 12's post what your selections are. Argue ours. Defend yours. We want to hear from you. Again, visit us at multinewmedia.com and add your own technology selections in the comments. Episode 12 of Multinew Media featuring the top five picks for science fiction technologies will begin in just a moment. Let me go grab Christopher Woodward and we'll be back after the break.
Hi, and welcome back. Uh, I am Chase Raz, and with me today is Christopher Woodward. Christopher, uh, we did our pilot season a while back, and this is the first time that you've been back on since then. So uh, if you don't mind, give our audience a little bit of a refresher on who you are. Who am I? Uh, who I am is I'm currently a professor at uh, Full Sail University. Uh, I'm kind of an entertainment junkie, I guess you could say. I've been a newspaper columnist. I've been a television announcer. I've been a radio host. Uh, I've written books. Uh, I've kind of dipped my toe into all different aspects of entertainment and engaging audiences. Uh, and I happen to have a, a real appreciation for technology and science fiction, which I think makes me the perfect guest for the topic we are discussing today. That's right. We're talking about our top five list each for sci-fi technologies and uh, you know i i guess we um we talked about this a little bit um we're going for technologies whether they've been realized or not correct yes uh, although i ended up actually i think most of mine have actually been realized or very close to being realized at this point well that's really good because most of mine are starting to be realized but nowhere near what um what their final form will be so it's going to be interesting to see what we've come up with. Uh, so again, we're talking about our top five technologies from sci-fi, and uh, hopefully we'll put a little bit of a spin on there of, of why we think these are important and, and why they matter to us and what's going to happen with these fields of uh, inquiry in the future. But Christopher, why don't we get started? What's, um, what's on your list? Are you going to go in any type of order or just uh, randomly? I think I'm just going to go random and kind of throw them out there. I'll um, do the same thing. So go go ahead and start us off on the first uh, your first choice. Well, the first one is something that, and I have to say, trying to to research maybe the emergence of these ideas in science fiction was a little difficult. Um, the first thing is real simple. It's a rocket ship. It nice. is space travel. Just um, getting out into space. Just getting out into space. Rocket ship. Obviously, you have to go all the way back. I guess for sci-fi to Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers comics and old-fashioned movie serials from the 1930s uh, to really find, I guess, the first emergence of that. But to think about it and put it in perspective, you know, if you watch those old Flash Gordon or Buck Rogers serials with the rocket ship with the uh, sparkler sticking out of the back of it, um, this was, you know, planting the seeds that we could have a manned spacecraft in outer space. Again, you know, it's something that we've obviously accomplished several times since then. But the idea that this was a science fiction idea, the idea of flying in outer space. So that's my uh, number one idea, the rocket ship. That's a that's a big one. And even before the 1930s, uh, Jules Verne had a book, Rocket to the Moon. Um, what is that? It's a very old, um, I want to say it's a French film, one of the first films in 1902 called A Trip to the Moon. I, I'm not even going to try to say the uh, French title. It's... Uh, Le Voyage de something, right? And, and I, I don't know the rest. I don't know French. And I think this was 1901, 1902. It's that old image where the uh, rocket ship just lands in the eye of the moon. The moon has yes, a uh, yes. um, human face. Uh, Le Voyage dans la Lune. You know, from, uh, yeah, that's it's a, it. It's a silent movie. Imagine people back then or reading comic books in the 1920s and 30s and thinking, are we ever going to get there? It is wild. Again, that's what I mentioned earlier about trying to source where these ideas first came from. So we just went all the way back to 1902 and the idea of space travel. Uh, 
I think that's a good place to start. I'm going to jump into my first one because it builds on that. So uh, not to take anything away, I think we should continue the conversation on it. But I'm going to add, in no particular order, the first on my list was uh, an FTL drive. So faster than light drive. And um, we've seen this in a lot of different places. But the one I wanted to focus on was, if anyone is familiar with the reimagined Battlestar Galactica from 2004... Now, Christopher, I know you're not a big fan of that one because of uh, (laughs) I was going to say gender changes and plot changes, but it's a whole Starbuck thing that just bugs you. You you uh, uh, that that one's bugged you for a while, right? It just you know I was such a devout fan of the original Battlestar Galactica, and uh, not to get too you know heavy into sci-fi and whatnot, but uh, Richard Hatch, who played Apollo in the original series, had actually pitched an idea for a return of Battlestar Galactica. It's, you know, 30 years later. He's older, the other cast members are older, you know, still searching for Earth, you know, skipping Galactica 1980 entirely, which everyone should. Right, um, yeah, absolutely and, you should. And that idea was in being pitched, and then the reboot happened, and Hatch's idea got washed out. And the trailer is out there for Hatch's reimagination of, the conti- I should say, continuation. Oh, so that's... that irks me, and then Starbucks should be a dude. Beautiful woman, but Starbucks should be a dude. You're so. just you're true to the classic. I am. It's kind of like me in the Star Trek reboot, but you know, I I imagine FTL drive, and that's why I'm saying FTL drive. That's what they called it in the Battlestar Galactica reboot. But even more than warp drive and EM drive, so so two technologies we currently have under research at NASA and other um, organizations and institutions are creating warp bubbles, uh, and and then creating warp drive, which we're familiar with from um, Star Trek. And um, hyperspeed, or what is it that Star Wars has? Isn't it hyperspeed? Hyperspace. Lightspeed. Hyperspace, yeah, lightspeed. Um, but then the concept of the EM, EM drive, electromagnetic drive, which NASA is currently working on as well. But when we add in quantum effects, right, the future technologies of quantum technologies that we uh, get in, this, this FTL drive where the ship is in one place and then boom, it's all automatically somewhere else, wherever the destination is is and um so i, I kind of see if if in my mind's eye i could be a futurist like hg uh, wells uh, i might say that ftl drive to me is one of the more plausible forms of how how this um interstellar travel will play out well that, that's always been the key with travel right first establish that you can do it second make it faster yeah Will we zip around like the USS Enterprise? I think so. I think we'll bend space, but I also do think we'll do some quantum tunneling throughout space. And boom, let's see, let's see if it's real. That's what we're doing now. And then uh, one day we'll get there. Just like one, you know, we, we used to think maybe we'll never get the rocket. And here we launch rockets every week off of the planet Earth, practically. You know, as long as we're in this kind of space zone, I, I think I'll do my next selection now. Again, sticking with the outer space theme here. Um, my next selection is a manned space station. Uh, again, it ties into a lot of sci-fi history. Not only the idea of being able to travel through space, but the idea of having a floating city in the sky, if you will, whatever you want to call it, but a manned space station. And obviously, uh, the first manned space station would have been the Soviet uh, salute in uh, 1971, but a lot of people always look at that as a failure because the crew... Uh, died on re-entry uh, due to uh, pressurization problems. I would say that's a little bit of a failure. Yeah, I would say it's a big failure. But the station itself worked. It was the re-entry part that was the problem. And, and the U.S. had Skylab originally. Well, 
Yeah, you know, Skylab. Yeah, and then of course, uh, you know, the success. I guess Mir, and then obviously the ISS. Um, but again, you go through sci-fi. Uh, think about it for a minute. Uh, Salu, which again, you know, obviously the crew passed away. I don't know if you want to count that or not. Uh, but you think of Star Wars and the Death Star. You think of again, you know, using Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon and an old school science fiction, the space dock of Star Trek. Um, there's always been this push of a manned space station where people conduct everyday business uh, and live on these stations. Uh, it's still a big part of sci-fi today, even though we have the ISS. But again, looking through the generations, it was something that was imagined and it has become a reality for us. And, you know, this isn't one of my selections, but um, uh, I really I really admire the selection and, and making uh, similarities between the Death Star or a Starbase from Star Trek, um, or, you know, we could pull from 2001, A Space Odyssey, any of these space bases. Um, the ISS is really modeled after a lot of that directly, and I think NASA and any other uh, government and uh, company that has is behind that um, international effort, I, I think they'd agree with that, because, you know, what I heard a couple of weeks ago is they have... Uh, something they're calling their view screen, just like off of the USS Enterprise. You know, they have um, uh, a new rollout screen. It's it's a special type of LED display that works in outer space uh, or in low Earth orbit. And um, this idea of before that, they were using nothing larger than a screen about the size of an iPad to communicate back with Earth. And now there's this, you know, I don't know if it's a 30, 40, whatever inch screen that can unfold and curl up and, and now they can have Skype communication back and forth uh, uh, and, and other types of video conferencing they do from the ISS. And, and that's, that's a big one. Just knowing right now that there are human beings in orbit living on a space station over our heads. Not many. It's not a big space station, but they're there. That, that's big. So, yeah, like I said, that's my, uh, my, my two outer space selections for uh, this segment. Um, it's, it's kind of funny there because you know all of mine, most of mine are going to do with outer space. You know what, actually, I'm looking at my list and no, they don't. You would think that about, <laughs> I even think that about myself, but I guess I'm wrong. So, um, interesting list so far. We've been, uh, we've talked about rockets and we've talked about FTL drive. And about space stations. Um, my next one is something that uh, could be useful on a space station or here on Earth. And I'm going to take a cheap shot here and combine two things. But I'm doing this because, unlike sci-fi, treating these devices as two separate unique technologies, what we know now, um, thanks to modern physics, is that they're very close. And practically, when you get one, you can... Um, almost in all cases, scale up to get the other. So the technology I'm going to go for a second is the replicator, but I'm also going to combine in the uh, any type of teleportation technology. So if you're not familiar with a replicator, this is the device where you walk up to it on Star Trek and you say, tea, Earl Grey hot, and there's some hot tea. And you walk up to it later and you say, I need a wrench, and there's a wrench. And you want a cheeseburger, there's a cheeseburger. Whatever it is you want to create, whether it's edible, whether 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 it's a tool... And then when you're done with whatever this thing is, or if it's edible, whatever's left, like a plate or a, a cup, you put it back in the machine and that dematerializes back into the energy source. So this is a really souped up version of our 3D printing now. And the technology uh, that's replicator-like that we should have, you know, within, uh, I don't know, a couple decades, a couple centuries, somewhere in between that loose <laughs> estimate, is called molecular manufacturing. 
And the idea is if we can get a information pattern of an apple or of a wrench or of any of these other things that we would then materialize on demand, we're very, very close to scanning in real time and getting the information pattern for something and then teleporting it uh, through quantum technologies to somewhere else. So yes, the replicator and the teleporter are two different technologies. Uh, we see these types of things in multiple sci-fi franchises, but they're, from modern physics perspective at least, they're very close. See, but now I'm depressed because I know the replicator probably won't be you know, completed in my lifetime to get that cup of Earl Grey tea, so... No, probably not, but you know, I ordered a cup of Earl Grey tea somewhere recently, and no, I did not say tea Earl Grey hot. I, I, I fought the urge. I don't know why I did. I really shouldn't have. But, you know, even when I ordered uh, Earl Grey tea, I got a funny look back from the uh, cashier. I don't understand what that was about. I mean, did they expect me to say tea Earl Grey hot, or were they just out of Earl Grey tea? I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I drink green tea, so green tea is adults. green tea is much better for you. So so good choice. Uh, but that's my second one. Really more on the replicator side because teleportation. Well, that's a that's a couple centuries away for human beings. Even though within the next few decades we'll have uh, data teleportation powering part of the internet backbone. But you know it's different teleporting a photon than it is physical matter. So we'll save that one for uh, maybe a future topic. Interesting selection because really what you picked is something that's you know embryonic right now. It's not even baby steps yet, much less running. Right. So. 3D printing is as far as we are, and, and companies like um, I don't even want to start listening. Company, a lot of companies are working. I mean, hell, even Dremel has a 3D printer out there. I don't know who actually manufactures the Dremel printer, but that's a type of wide appeal that a 3D printer has now. But what happens when we can? I don't know, you know, materialize something from the 12 fundamental particles of, of matter, uh, subatomic particles that have mass, right, that, are, um, that have the Higgs boson applied to them. What happens when we can just materialize anything out of those 12 building blocks or do this some other way? That's, that's going to be big. So I'll take in uh, my next one now. Okay. And uh, it's interesting when, when we when you proposed this topic to me. My, my first thoughts obviously went to you know Star Wars and Star Trek. Uh, when I think sci-fi, um, I'm going to go with the Star Trek communicator. Uh, oh, which, our third one is so close. Keep going. With, with, in many ways, the Star Trek communicator, the precursor to uh, the portable phone, and you know obviously Star Trek on the air well before uh, Martin Cooper over at Motorola the first uh, handheld mobile phone so obviously a case of sci-fi coming to pass uh, again the idea when I was a child of a, a flip communicator uh, back then you know and, and I should point out that I, I was not alive during the original run of Star Trek I watched it in syndication like some of the others but I remember just having staticky walkie-talkies and thinking how incredible <laughs> that was now we live in a world where many people including myself I don't even have a landline anymore uh, so obviously, Star Trek communicator, cell phone. That's really culturally important. I mean, go to any five-year-old and hand them a walkie-talkie, and I think um, if you're in a technological area, you're going to get the response of, can't I just have a phone and not have to deal with this static? But but I'm with you. That that powerful impression in everyone's mind of here's a walkie-talkie and it'll work for you know half a block, that was so big in the idea that we could communicate from the surface of the planet up to, you know, some hypothetical orbiting spaceship or even on the phone 
from, you know, wherever we are to whoever else, wherever they are. That was such a sci-fi idea that really over a couple of decades went from being astronomically impossible to here it is. We should probably also point out, you know, the CB radio. You had to have all this equipment, you know, or a ham radio. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was always big and bulky and this portable device that you could fit in your pocket and pull out and get clear communication. Again, it's something that the generations today are growing up with. Uh, although I do have to point out to you, I have a four-year-old son. He does have a set of walkie-talkies, and he does like using them. Wonderful. But I think he likes using my phone a little bit more because it has games on it. It has games. Yeah, the communication factor alone isn't enough for a lot of uh, a lot of young folks these days. But, I, you know, I'm glad we don't. Speaking of uh, CB radios and ham radios, I'm glad we don't have to deal with handles anymore. You say the term handle, and, um, you know, if you talk to someone who's a sub-millennial, right, who's under 18 years old right now, they may know that word if you uh, have referenced a Twitter handle before, but that's really the only place where we use that term anymore in um, colloquial terms. So, yeah. you know, somebody, what their handle is, they're like, what? I don't know what that means. By, you know, screen name. <laughs> yeah, what's what's your screen name? What's your what's your uh, name online? It's um, uh, handle was always kind of a funky name that came from the CB world. I don't know where it, um where it came from before that, but uh, my first introduction to it was with uh, CB radios. Building uh, and not to take this too quick, but I do want to build on your third uh, selection with my third selection. You selected the communicator uh, from Star Trek, the original Star Trek. My third choice is, um, it's actually my last Star Trek choice. Uh, Replicator was my first, and and, and uh, this one's going to be the last Star Trek reference I have. But my third choice is the Universal Translator, which technically, I guess, is a part of that communicator, or, you know, a ship's computer, or some, I don't know. That's a great thing about sci-fi. We don't have to explain how it works. We just get to know and perceive that it's coming to us uh, as a species. And we have things like Google Translate and Bing Translate, and really the the biggest, heaviest weight one right now is Skype Translator that can translate in real time to facilitate communications back and forth. But this idea of a universal translator that not only can have a preset um, set of languages it can translate back and forth from, but also to in sci-fi terms, right? If we go to the sci-fi iteration of these um, this UT technology, to be able to have the recipient of a message feel like that message is being delivered in their language, for them to actually hear it, uh, see it, whatever the communication form is, natively, without having to feel like there's a translation in place, and um, a sci-fi element of this, to be able to extrapolate what an unknown language may be trying to say. These things are definitely going to be true one day, and it'll be absolutely mind-boggling to see if, if, if we're alive at that time, how they play out. But for right now, Skype Translator and a few other services are the closest we we are to that technology. And even that is flat out uh, just, just mind-boggling. You know, I'm going to continue on the Star Trek trend here with one of my next selections, which is also connected to Star Trek. Um, it's interesting, though, because... It's the Star Trek tricorder. Nice. But I'm, I'm tying the tricorder into the portable computer. I can see that. I can see that, yeah. 
I mean, the tricorder really was a portable computer. Right. Now, when Picard beams down to the planet, he doesn't take the pad with him, right? The pad is the iPad-like thing from Star Trek The Next Generation. He takes a tricorder. That, that makes right. perfect sense. So I'm going to go with tricorder, and I, I was checking my dates on this because, you know, for the timeline of, of portable computers, you have portable computers, you know, that were movable by trucks, not carried by human beings. Um, so it really looks like 1981 when uh, you had uh, Osborne 1 uh, and Hitachi had the Epson HX20. That was when we started seeing portable computers that could actually be carried by one person. Right. So uh, Not pleasurably things, by, any, by any means, but... Yeah. But uh, I'm going to say that's a tricorder because now we have the iPad and, and you have all these great tablets uh, and you have laptop computers and you have, again, you know, just this manifestation of portable computers. A phone itself, obviously, is a portable computer. But uh, again, from sci-fi, the idea of the tricorder, something that can do multiple things for you. We have those now, again, in the palms of our hands. So the Star Trek tricorder, which I guess I could have tied in the communicator but I wanted to put that division between the communication factor and the idea of a resource tool that could be used so many different ways. You know, maybe they could be combined, but, you know, the way that sci-fi franchises, especially Star Trek, have portrayed them is those are distinct and separate technologies even in the future. I think in reality, in our reality, in our future, um, of course, why not build the communications protocol into... Um, you know, that mobile computer, which is kind of what we have now. But there is an argument to be made that they'll remain separate. Why not take that communication system and, and embed that within or on a person individually and then have external computing power if necessary? Um, so, yeah, that, it'll be very interesting to see whether communications continue to embed into other computer technologies other than the phone uh, or, if, um, or if they all kind of merge into one thing. What's your next? How many? I have one left on my list now. You have yeah, well, one left. That means I have two left. So uh, my fourth, um, you gotta, you have to give me a little bit of creative leeway here. My fourth is the Matrix. Uh, that's a disqualification, I think. Okay, no, okay, I can explain it. Okay, right. let's hear it. Specifically, I mean, and I can actually provide another example that's a spoof off of the Matrix to to uh, really illustrate what I mean. I'm talking about this idea. Of we used to believe, and I didn't choose this, but in sci-fi we used to believe that that telepathy would become real, and it would happen through a genetic mutation or through evolution. But what we're learning right now, real world, here and now, is that telepathy is simply an advanced technology. We've already have laboratory experiments where mice can—they're not communicating information back and forth, but something's happening there, and information is exchanging between individual brains. So this whole telepathy angle of we can go to a virtual world and communicate without having to do so in the physical world, without having to speak, without having to write, that we have this back channel between our brains. But the other side of that is um, immersion into the virtual reality world of being able to slip into some world. And I don't, you know, I don't know if this is actually ever going to play out like the Matrix where time seems to even be a little bit different. You can speed up or slow down time in this in, in this immersion. But we see this also in, um, speaking of Battlestar Galactica, which I started with, uh, the spinoff that happened from the 2004 reboot, um, the series was called Caprica. It was sort of a prequel 
to Battlestar Galactica's reimagining. And they had this concept of immersion within a virtual reality world where you don't just have a VR headset and you're not on a holodeck, but you are actually in this virtual world. And then for right now, scientifically, we only understand that happening through some type of connection with the computer, uh, some type of direct brain input. So when I say the matrix, I'm really talking about this mixed up thing of telepathy uh, back channels and immersion into virtual reality. The parody I mentioned is from Futurama, where one of the newer episodes of Futurama before they were um, before they were canceled a second time off of Comedy Central, uh, they spoofed this idea by saying that uh, people in retirement age go into this matrix-like thing and they get to live. They don't have body pain. They're, you know, there were jokes about them being very sexually active in, in, um, in retirement and very physically active. And it's this idea of, oh, you know, can I really go into a pod and live this entirely separate physical world without it even happening? So, so it sounds like I'm cheating there a little bit, but I, I mean some very specific things by saying the matrix. And you used Futurama, so I, I got to give you a pass now. I get a pass just for mentioning Futurama. Just for tying that in, you get a pass. Yeah, what about telepathy? What do you think about that? How how uh, how long do you think before we can just, you know, put some headset on and uh, have gamer telepathic communication rather than chat pads? I don't know. But, you know the whole idea of brainwaves and, and can it be actually turned into tangible information and tangible actions? I mean, it's brain impulses that make our muscles move, so it has to be possible. Yeah, we've seen the the real research that's out there that anybody could Google, and you could find this in academic papers if you want, if you really don't believe me or just don't trust the interwebs. Uh, find some of the research where different mice have been connected, and one mouse will be sent through a maze, and it finds a cheese. And then uh, through the connection, we'll take another mouse that we put in the maze that has no idea how to navigate this thing, but it gets it right the first time because of the connection. These types of proof of uh, proofs of concept have been made. The question I have, and if anybody out there is a neuroscientist and listening to this, what I'd love to hear from you about is, let's say that I think of, I don't know, some distant relative, and I have this thought in my head, and I transmit that to you, Christopher. Do you see, even after never meeting and not knowing about my relative, do you get an image of them or their name or whatever I'm thinking about? Or does that, you know, just trigger a particular spot in your brain and make you think of, I don't know, chocolate chip cookies or bamboo or whatever? That's yeah. what I'm curious to know. Can we actually transmit the thought or is it just sort of a muscle memory type of transmission? Mm, you're just sending an impulse through and it's going to manifest itself however it will in a separate brain because brains are not the same, I guess. So. Right, and that that could be scary because, you know, if we're transmitting human to human, of course, I can say left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, but what if I think about a um, some type of ideological construct? Mm. Yeah, how does that get transferred? Yeah. So that's my fourth. I guess we're rounding, uh, rounding all of the bases here in some um, weird pentagram of baseball. Yeah, well, this... Um my last choice, I actually ended up, uh, through research, disqualifying it in a way um, because I had assumed it had its initial, I guess, you know, recorded thought in science fiction. But well, allow me to explain, um, if you'll indulge me for a moment. Oh, yeah, because in, you've, you've lost me already. In 1890, there was a science fiction novel written by Albert Robita, a French author, called uh, Le Ventime Secret la vie électrique 
1890. Okay. What what does that mean? Um, I think it's. I actually don't know what the translation is of the title. Okay, so we'll take it at face value for now. I've never actually because the title's the same on the English version as it is the French. I don't know. Okay. I'm sure I can stick it in a translator, but I won't right now for the sake of time. Um, this sci-fi novel, again, 1890. I want to stress that. Predicted a form of transportation operating above the city, very modern, very reminiscent of modern rapid transit systems, subways and trains. It basically saw into the future the modern telephone, a device where two people could talk miles apart. Hmm. It had uh, airborne vehicles, similar to a helicopter or an airplane. It had uh, a submarine or a version of a submarine. Again, this is 1890. It also uh, well, there were outside. there were there were already submarines in 1890 or submersibles. Submersibles, right? Not, not, not but not submarines. War, Warcraft, though. Submarines, right? Just uh, some uh, some American uh, submersibles, like the uh, alligator that was common or, or commonly known from the Confederate states. Now, the the so, it's a fascinating novel because the social phenomenon that, that is discussed in it. They, they predict biological warfare, replacing military combat. Wow, uh, that's they scary. Discuss, they discuss um, uh, the emancipation of women. This is in 1890. Uh, so it, it's a very interesting novel. Now, the reason I thought I had a slam dunk here is because one of the items mentioned was called the telephonoscope, which would essentially be a video phone. Video phone, yeah. So I said, there we go. I got it. 1890, sci-fi, the video phone was predicted. But then I found out that in 1876, two years after he patented the telephone, Alexander Graham Bell had an early concept of a video phone, a video phone and a television screen called the telephonoscope. So here I was thinking I found a sci-fi, pre-sci-fi, before anybody scientific was thinking about it, and Alexander Graham Bell was thinking of it first. <laughs> in 1876, he, he had the idea for it. Of course, it didn't really come to light until, I guess, 1927 when uh, AT&T created their electromechanical uh, television video phone. Uh, and then, of course, in the, in the 30s, um, Germany actually had a public video telephone service. And now, of course, uh, everybody has video phone service. But... But I, I thought I had figured one out. I said, oh, look, I can use the video phone. And then I realized that, that Bell actually had the idea before any noted or recorded science fiction idea. So my, my video phone idea, I guess, technically can be disqualified because the, uh, the, the scientist figured it out first. You know, I, I, I don't think it disqualifies it um, for a couple of reasons, though. That's exactly one of the reasons we have this show. There are certain things when you're at any point in, in time where you should be able to see things manifesting. So, you know, subways and, and all of that became very popular in the early part of the 20th century. But by 1890, somebody who's a futurist should be able to start seeing that. Now, right, that doesn't take away from it. It just says, you know, somebody, and this is what we're trying to play the part of now, somebody should be able to see what's coming down the road. And, um, you know, the, the television thing, um, yeah, that... Really, uh, or, or rather, the um, excuse me, I misspoke there. I kind of give away what I was about to say. The um, the video phone that was the whole concept of tele uh, television originally. It was to be two way communication, and finally, 
um, just as the research was happening. And initially, believe it or not, a lot of the research happened in England, in the United Kingdom. And this is, uh, if I remember correctly, either in the very early 1900s or possibly even in the 1890s as well, uh, but this idea of these these pictures being sent back and forth over telecommunications lines and, and being two-way, and that research was initially abandoned and then abandoned again by other companies in the early 20th century because they realized, you know, this two-way takes too much bandwidth. We can't do that. Um, and that's how television ended up becoming this one-way media, uh, this one-way medium, rather. So, you know, I don't think it discredits that selection I think that shows that what we're trying to do here today, what science fiction writers have been trying to do throughout time, is to prepare people for what's coming up and what those technologies mean. Absolutely. Um, you know, it just, I'm actually sitting here look, looking more and more at the, the listing. So I got distracted here of video phone uh, attempts and whatnot. Oh, you know. And I'm, I'm actually looking over my whole list now, and it's just, you know, I'm going to make a more general comment. It's mind-boggling to think that if we had done a, it would have been a radio show back then, I guess. If we had done a radio show in the 1960s or the <laughs> 1950s, right? all of these ideas would be seen as, you know, well, it's not going to happen in this lifetime. It's not going to happen for centuries or decades right. and whatnot. And now we're talking decades, and it ends up happening in years. It's amazing. It Who, whoever amazing. thought. So, you know, for, for all of our talk of some of these ideas may take centuries or decades, maybe we shouldn't be uh, be casting the line out that far. It might be a lot sooner. Exactly. Whoever thought in the 1960s while watching Star Trek, again, we weren't alive, but um, not to make anyone feel old, but uh, whoever was watching that at that time thinking, oh my goodness, that's never going to happen in my lifetime. And then even as far back as the 1990s, which isn't that far ago, right? We were very clearly alive and... Uh, and uh, thriving by that point. But um, even in the 1990s, there were concepts of how to make a warp bubble. And now in 2015, that is an active research topic of NASA. Uh, let me throw my last one in here very quickly. Um, I think it's kind of a doozy, but one that doesn't take a lot of description. My last technology is the exoskeleton or the mech unit, right? And, and, I may be cheating and putting those two together, but in my mind, a mech unit is simply just a giant exoskeleton. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna reserve my right to mix those two. We see this idea played out in in various different ways. Um, currently, we see uh, Iron Man is very popular, and he has an exoskeleton. RoboCop was rebooted within the past couple of years. In video games like Halo and StarCraft, exoskeletons are, are utilized. But I think the real advantage of exoskeletons is in the commercial sector and in the industrial area of doing construction or any type of heavy list, lifting, obviously. But then again, just in quality of life, how can we modify these exoskeletons, whether they truly exo or if they get internalized? What if we... Um, you know, have a war survivor who has lost both of their legs, and we see the quality of artificial limbs increasing and increasing and increasing. Well, what happens at the point at which the artificial limbs or the exoskeleton or whatever we can provide uh, becomes superior to the physical form in which we're given? And I don't mean that as some type of thing where the rest of us walk around and it's like, oh, I wish something would happen to me to where I need to use one of those, because of course, Maybe we will use exoskeletons recreationally to go rock climbing or to, or, you know, to go and, and do, um, uh, 
any number of extreme sports. But this whole idea of improving ourselves physically in science fiction and doing so for military purposes, for exploration purposes, for adventure purposes, and simply just to have a better control over our surroundings. I think that's going to be a big one that we see not in the next few decades, but literally in the next few years. Absolutely. And, you know, you bring up a great topic because we didn't really touch too much upon, you know, medical advancements. And we're seeing them. I mean, we're seeing, you know, these mechanical limbs. We're seeing, you know, people getting arms that could actually react and legs that can react to impulses that can be controlled. Um, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating technology. Uh, it, it obviously has that whole, oh, we can, you know, $6 million man. We can make him bigger, stronger, faster. Uh, but just the idea of the, restoring the quality of life to someone who has lost a limb is uh, is incredible, and we're seeing that. And you're right, that is not something that is you know out of reach. That is something that is happening right now as we speak. It's been happening, uh, you know, amazingly fast recently, and and as primitive as our modern modern medicine feels. Like hopefully, you know, nobody hates me for saying that, but the let's acknowledge the perception out there. Um, our modern medicine. Uh, even in very developed nations, is still fairly primitive, you know, based on the technologies that we have and that we know that are within reach. Um, we have common complaints of, you know, it's not about actually quality of life or making people better. It's more about the bottom line and, and profiting. And that's the perception we have. But but all of this stuff is, is drastically within reach. You know, to, to bring it back to Star Trek for a moment, I... Uh... I never mind if you bring it back to Star Trek. I forget which episode it was, and it was from the classic series. But uh, it might actually, but actually, I think it was one of the films. It might have been uh, Voyage Home, I think it was, where uh, they talk about how they were going to operate on someone's brain. Surgeon is standing there. It's in. It's set in current Earth, right? And uh, and McCoy walks in there and goes, "You were going to cut his head open." Oh, I remember that episode. That was great. You know, what's wrong with you? And you think about, you know, one of my favorite technological topics is, you know, nanotechnology mm -hmm. and the things that medicine should and will be able to do with nanotechnology and eliminate the, let, let, let's, I'm going to be blunt with it, the butcher style of surgery. Absolutely. Think about that for a minute. Surgery without incisions, surgery without slicing open your body to get to the problem. I, you know what? I think everybody out there, just uh, including myself, went, can we have that day now? That's how big it is. Christopher, it's been a pleasure talking these uh, topics with you. I think um, I think we should have another show in the future that discusses some of the medicine. Maybe we'll uh, try to find someone who can uh, do that field a little bit more justice than I know I can. I, I can't do that field very, very much justice. But that's something we should revisit in the future. And, uh, again, just want to thank you for... Uh, for being on the show as always, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Pleasure as always. So did you notice that I uh, threw out a Picard reference and I was waiting for you to uh, blast back with Kirk? Uh, you know, I, I was thinking about it. I was going to do the whole... You know, in a triple episode, Kirk ordered his uh, tuna fish sandwich and coffee and got a plate full of triples instead. But, <laughs> but I, I said, you want to try to keep this one tight, so I didn't want to get too off on a tangent there.
The music in this episode is licensed from Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com under Creative Commons 3.0. For specific details and text attributions, see the blog post for this episode on multinewmedia.com. Multinew Media is an incubation venture of RCR Business Ventures LLC, and this episode is copyright 2015. For media inquiries, email media.relations at rcr.biz. Until next time, take care. What about uh, Star Trek versus Star Wars? That didn't come up at all. Yeah, well, I mean, I only really used the Death Star for Space Station, so I, I didn't go too, too deep on that, but... Uh... We are the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile.